Well, as always, it's an honor to be here with you this morning. Uh, it's been quite a week. I, I've had phone calls from literally all over the country and uh, in our own area asking uh, questions about what's going on in the world. Uh, I find it interesting, uh, you know, because what's going on in the world actually started way back in the garden uh, when Adam and Eve left. Uh, and ever since, uh, we've been east of Eden, uh, desiring paradise. But, but one of the things that has really intrigued me about the conversation is, is that they're not political. And, and in 2023, that's a miracle. Uh, the questions aren't about politics. They're, they're, about, they're about the world and where we are as believers, you know, is Christ coming back? Uh, is this a sign of the end times? And I, I'll give you the answer that I've given each of those individuals who have asked me that we're closer today than we were yesterday. Uh, that's what I know. Uh, you know, we can pull out all of our charts and speculate, but the reality of it is we're closer today than we were yesterday. And, and my heart breaks uh, for what's happening all over the world. Uh, um, but especially as we, our heart goes not just to to Israelis, but I, I think when I was back uh, several years ago, um, worshiping actually in Jerusalem on a Sunday, and, uh, and that night I had a conversation with a Palestinian Christian pastor who, who graduated from Asbury Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky, and uh, was reminded that uh, the number of Christian Palestinians that there are, and, and just all the innocence lives that, that are intruded by evil, and so, you know, my prayers have just been, God, your will be done. You know, protect our brothers and sisters. Let them be a light to those around them. And, and, and you know, the reality of it is I think sometimes we can, we can get so fixated on our own perspective and, and come up with our own solutions. But, but I'm sort of reminded of the fact that, that, that even if I had a solution, who would listen to me? You know, that, that the reality of it is what, what I'm called to do as a believer is pray and trust and, and, and be obedient to what he calls me to do in my daily living. And, and, and so that's, that's been an, a theme over and over again this week. And then I was reminded um, yesterday, I, I, I'm here sitting because I have a, another foot issue. And if you've been with me for a while, you know, every once in a while I get one of these things. And, and, and so here I am, and I wasn't even expecting to be here. I wanted to be here, but I didn't expect to be here. I thought I was going to have a procedure this week, and, and then that was canceled. And, and I was so excited that it was canceled, not because it's not going to have to happen, but because this passage that we're going to look at in Titus offers real hope. And it's my favorite passage in all of Titus. And I thought, I really want to preach on that. Like, I'm a Christian geek. I want to, be, I want to preach that message. And, and so I was excited. I was able to do that. And yesterday, I was sitting around, and, and I hadn't been to the gym for a while because I used my foot as an excuse. Any excuse will work, right? And so I, I was sitting there, and I thought, enough's enough. You know, you have a whole lot of body that needs to be worked out that isn't your foot. As a matter of fact, I was reminded of the words of my dad, who often would say, it's a long way from your heart. Uh, no matter what would happen to my brother and I physically, uh, he would say, it's a long way for your heart. Now, we don't know what that meant uh, to this day. Uh, we often would joke and say, well, heart attack's like literally your heart. You know, would you still say that? But, but that's what he would say. And I thought, well, it's a long way from my heart. Let's go work out. And, and so I was at the gym. And at the end of my workout, an individual came up, part of our church, and, um, and said, hey, um, would you pray for me? I have surgery on Tuesday. And I was just reminded that in the midst of all the chaos in the world, we, we all have our individual stuff too, Right. And so it was, it was really sort of an interesting thing. As I thought about it later, it sort of hit me as, as odd, but I didn't really think much about the fact that here we are in this public gym. Uh, and I said to him, can I put my hand on your shoulder? He said, sure. And I just prayed for him, like out loud, right there. Like I acted like no one else was around us. And, and, and not that I haven't prayed in public before, but it was really sort of strange, to be honest with you. Like I just did it. And then I thought, man, you know, a lot of people do things in public that I don't like. And they say things that, that sort of I don't like. And so I didn't really care. And so I just prayed for this guy. And I was just reminded that, 
that as we gather this morning, what the world needs, what you need, what I need is hope. And, and the only hope is found in Jesus. And, and so, you know, sometimes as Christians, we're looked upon as simpletons because people say, well, you say Jesus is the answer to everything. And we, and we understand he's not. I mean, if you were to have a math exam this week and you're in school and you were to put Jesus as the answer to some math equation, you're going to fail that test. We, we understand that. That's not what we mean as believers when we say Jesus is the answer. What we mean is he's the answer to life. That, it, that if you really want to know how life works, it's only found in him. And so now where you, found, where you find yourself this morning, my guess is you need hope. If not, you need an extra dose of hope so you can share it with the hopeless all around us. And there's real hope in Jesus. This passage we're going to look at uh, speaks of the very grace of God, the grace of God, his, his, the unmerited favor. We don't deserve it, but he loves us anyway. That he pours his love down upon us, his extravagant love. And the only way I can even explain that love is, and the only way I can even begin to comprehend it is as a father or a grandfather. Do you guys know I'm a grandfather? Some of you might have heard about that. Yeah, I am. And, and, and you know, my children, I mean, seriously, my grandchildren, I love them in spite of what they do sometimes, right? Especially the grandkids. I mean, you know, they do something, I'm like, hey, it doesn't matter, I love them. You know, and some of the things don't matter. It's just that's the type of love even more so that God has for us. Like God says in, in his word, he's, he's saying, Jesus is speaking. And he says, you know, even a good dad, even, even a good dad, you know, does these things. Even a dad that's not all that great would do this for the kids. I am the perfect father. We have a perfect father, he says, who loves us extravagantly. And, and so there's, there's hope in Jesus. There's love in God. And whether we're looking at the, the global situation or let's narrow it all the way down to a foot or, or this gentleman who's getting a, a surgery on his throat this coming week or, or whatever you're dealing with, I believe Jesus is the answer, that he wants to break down bondages. He wants to break down strongholds. He wants to, he wants to bring healing. He wants to bring salvation. And in Titus 2, 11 through 15, this is the passage that explains this to us. I mean, many in scripture do, but I love this passage. Because it's so clear and to the point at the very heart of the gospel message. And so look with me, Titus 2, 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and, sa of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us for all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, but no one disregards you. We discovered in this passage a remarkable, concise summary of our faith that, that the very grace of God is embodied in Jesus Christ. In fact, that the, that the grace of God really teaches us that although we have this beautiful scripture that allows us to know who God is and who we are with him and to walk the way that he's, he's really created us to walk so we can flourish even in a messed up world, we can flourish because the resources of heaven are in our life when we have a relationship with Christ and walking with him. Although all this is at our disposal, that when you boil down Christianity... It's not about do's and don'ts. That Christianity is centered on a person, Jesus Christ. 
that when you really look at Christianity, our understanding of what it means to, to follow Scripture, that everything in life only works when we're in a right relationship with God through Him. That these words, grace and salvation, really are summarized or are depicted most beautifully in the fact that Jesus came. That if you want to know the heart of Christianity, it's not about you and I trying to reach up to God. It's about God loving us so much that he's reached down to us. Not only reached down to us, but came to us, dwelt among us, the whole incarnation. That Jesus came and demonstrated love for us on the cross that he died in our stead so we can have life. Now, church, that's hope. That's grace. So let's dig into the passage a little bit. Again, Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The grace of God has appeared. And again, he's speaking of the coming of Christ, that Jesus came, that grace brings salvation. I love this. He brings salvation to everyone. In fact, it says really clearly that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And I think that's so important because it's so easy for us to, to do one of two things, to either put us in a camp where for some reason we believe that all people is someone other than us, that when God said all people, somehow there's this individual that's out of all the all. Or we can fall into this sort of prideful thing and think that all people encompasses those like us and not those who are hard to like. And both are wrong. And in fact, if you look at the original wording, that word all is translated, guess what? As all. It's not a spectacular word. It's a very basic word. It simply means everyone. And the grace of God has appeared. Jesus has come so that everyone can have salvation. That's profound love. That's an amazing invitation, and it's available to every single one of us, whether it be in this room, online, down the chapel, outside this campus, everybody. And so Paul writes, and he continues in, in verse 12 through 14, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So it's interesting that Paul uses this language. The grace of God, the very love of God, teaches us something. And he writes, first of all, it says it teaches us not to do something. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. That's what it teaches us, that somehow the love of God teaches us to say no to living life outside of the parameters spelled out in the word of God. I think that's important because to deny ungodliness is simply to affirm godliness. And to affirm godliness is to recognize God in all of life. Ungodliness is to live as if there is no God. Which really begs the question when you think about it. It begs the question, if we're here and you say, yeah, I'm a believer, I'm a believer. So we believers, when we sit here, the question is this, in what ways are our lives being lived differently than they would if there were no God? Think about it for a minute. Like, don't yell it out, just keep it between you and the Lord this morning. But if you're a believer, then our lives should be lived differently, right? Because there is a God. 
And again, let's be really careful here. It's not that what I'm saying is is that we're saved by works, because we know we're not. We're not saved by works, but works is the fruit of salvation. And so the grace of God has appeared, and and somehow this grace teaches us what not to do. Don't live this way. And I was really pondering that a little bit, praying over that this week, and I, I thought to myself, I've had opportunities to sit with people when they were at the end of their life for various reasons. This is a very sobering moment. And I've never had someone who is facing imminent death say to me, you know what? I really regret I didn't lie more. I really wish I was a little more dishonest in my business. I I, I wish I had treated people more poorly. Never once. Never once. I've never had anyone regret living for Jesus. I've never had anyone regret living what we call a clean life and allowing the Lord to to so invade our space that he's transforming us into his image. I've never heard anyone regret that, but I have heard regrets on the other side of things. Now, why is that? Because God has a better way. And that the way that he spells out in scripture isn't to rob us of anything. I had friends, especially when I was in high school, who would say, oh, you know, your God is just keeping you from a lot of fun. And I would see what they were doing and going, yeah, not only am I having fun, I even remember it. <laughs> like, I didn't see where it was helping them. And then time after time, they would get themselves in these bad situations, and I realized, is that the product of fun? Not judgmentally, brokenhearted for them, because I love them. They're my friends. Is that the product of fun? And God says, no, say no to ungodliness because what he wants to do is bless us. He wants us, when we are living in, in a way that he's called us to live, we glorify him, we live blessed lives, we're able to bless others. There's no greater life in that. No greater life in that. And, and so it, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So it teaches us what to do. It's, it teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. I, I want you to think about that for a minute. John Wesley wrote this. He said, godly are those who are consecrated, devoted to God, both in heart and life, who are devoted to God. And and I like that because his definition isn't godly people are perfect, because if that's the truth, then I can't be part of that club. But I can be devoted. I can be committed to the journey. How about you? It's not always an easy journey. In fact, you know, yesterday at the gym, I, I used my foot as an excuse for two weeks. So I haven't been in the gym for two weeks. You know where I'm going. So I went back and just threw the weights on there like I had just lifted two days ago. And, and when I first started, like the first rep, and I was like, oh man, I'm there. And then I went for the second and the body said, oh no, you're not. <laughs> oh no, you're not. <laughs> and I was humbled. I mean, the reality is I'm in a journey. It takes work, doesn't it? it? Takes being mindful, self-controlled. What's self-control? Self-control is giving the control to God and allowing myself to live the way He's called me to live. That's what self-control really is. Spirit-controlled. I'll tell you what. That takes work. How about you? It's a journey. But I love His definition because I can be devoted. I can be committed. Uh, my walk may look like this, but I can still be committed. Lord God, I want to do things Your way. 
But here's the interesting thing. Holiness is to be experienced and lived out in this present age. That righteousness, rightness is is a rewarding way to live. And I just have to emphasize it again, that, that there's no better way to live than the way that Christ calls us to live because that's the way we've been designed to live. Now, some of you out there, I understand, are are, are craftsmen. And and so tools for you, like you get it, you know? Like you could build things, you know? And and people would actually like what you build, you know? It's like when people say, Craig, can you sing? I say, well, anyone can sing if you have a voice. The question is, does anyone want to hear you? You know, anyone can build something. The question is, would they want what you build? And in my case, it would be no. And and that's led me sometimes to, to use things as tools that aren't even tools. Has anyone ever done that? Like, have you ever, I can't believe I'm saying this, my wife's actually in this service, but have you ever used like a, a butter knife as a screwdriver? A, a, a screwdriver works better, right? But I couldn't fi- find the screwdriver, so I just used a butter knife, and then I cleaned it up and went, oh, goodness, and put it back and hope I didn't get caught, right? I mean, it's just sort of the way, the way sometimes we do things, and, and yet the reality is that God says, no, I, I created you to live this way. You know, a screwdriver has a purpose. A butter knife has a purpose. If you use a butter knife for its purpose, it works really well. If you use it for something else, the butter knife gets ruined. That's why we don't, probably don't have a butter knife. But, uh, but the reality of it is that's true with us too. As human beings, we can do things our own way, and then we wonder why it's not working, why we're being broken, why things just aren't working out. Or we can do things the way that God created us to do things. And lo and behold, we have hope. We're ambassadors of hope. I love it. It doesn't just tell us what not to do and to do. It tells us when to do it. It, it teaches us to do it while we wait for the blessed hope of the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I love this because it begins by talking about the first coming of Jesus, that Jesus came, that he humbled himself and came and that he died on the cross for our sins and was resurrected for our salvation. We, we worship a living Savior, right, church? Man, you want to get to lunch, right? We worship a living Savior, right, church? All right, you convinced me there. Woo. Uh, and, and he's ascended to heaven. He's like, he's there, but he's going to return, Right? And it says, when, why, when do we live for him? Well, we live for him while we're awaiting his return. And, and again, you may ask the question, well, when's he coming back? Well, we're a day closer today than we were yesterday. I'll say that again. That's what I do know. And I do know he's going to return. And I think the conflict for many is, is the fact that we look for, for paradise here, and you're never going to find paradise here. As I said to start off the message, we were created for paradise, but but we were kicked out of paradise because of sin, and, and we desire paradise. There's a piece of God within us that says, man, there's just something has to be better than this. And we desire it here, but it's never going to be here until Jesus returns. So until then, what can we do? Well, Jesus said, pray, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven, so that you can have a piece of heaven in your very heart that can spread out to those around us as we live for him. What a powerful reality. That not only can we know God's peace, but we can share God's peace with others. I realized this past week that in many of the conversations I was having with people when they were calling me and saying, hey, Coop, what's going on with the world? That I could have taken those conversations to places that were very dark. I could have joined in and pointing out all the things that are wrong. But instead I said, well, this is the result of sin, but here's the good news. Jesus died so we don't have to be trapped in this place. 
Jesus died, so while we're still here, we can still live vibrant lives in him. In other words, I wanted to leave every conversation with hope. Not to manufacture, but just to simply say there is hope in Jesus. That the world needs to see that. Not that we don't care, not that we, we sort of, you know, say, hey, it's not raining when it is. Uh, you know, that would be ridiculous. But to say, but God is still good, he's working. And by the way, Jesus is going to return. We need to be ready. We need to be willing. We be excited about that. Jesus' return is the hope for the church, every single believer. Do you have that hope this morning? That excitement of who Christ is? The grace of God is seen in Christ giving himself for us to redeem us. Christ redeems us from, from the lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And I got to camp there in that word redeem. Because in our culture, it, it sort of has lost its meaning a little bit. Now, when we talk about redeeming something, like we're usually talking about like redeeming a coupon or, or like your McDonald's reward program on your phone, Right? that I'm going to go redeem a Big Mac, you know, which, by the way, is a pretty cool thing. A Big Mac's an amazing modern invention of, of humanity. Uh, but, but, but it's sort of lost, right? Like, is that what Jesus did for us? Like, redeemed a Big Mac? <laughs> no. So when Paul wrote this, the word was rich with meaning. Anyone who read this in the first century, when they heard the word redeem, automatically thought of the slave trade. And they thought of a person being redeemed out of it. Or, or if a person was kidnapped, for instance, by pirates, and, and this was very common in the Mediterranean, and, and, and they would usually sell people into slavery too, but they would, they would declare, you, if you want this person back, who you love, you got to pay someone. And they would redeem them from, from captivity, redeem them from slavery. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about simply redeeming the, I got a coupon for 20% 20, 20 off this dress or this, or this jacket or whatever. He's saying, no, no, he's redeemed us from slavery. That he, he's, he's redeemed us. The chains of, of, of sin have been shattered in Jesus Christ, that no longer are we held captive, no longer is our destiny hopeless, but we have all the hope in the world because of him for today and even more so in the life to come. This is, this is amazing reality that we have in Jesus. And so why then, where's the good works? Why, why is that mentioned in the same line as redemption? Because, because what do you give a God who's done so much? Not that he's asking for us to pay for it, but, but what's the response of such extravagant love? Has anyone ever given you such an amazing gift you thought, how am I gonna re-give this? Not that you have to, but you just go, how do I repay this? I remember when each of my children were born, I thought I could never, ever, ever repay my wife for this. I could never do it. And then, by the way, did I ever tell you I was a grandparent? And then the grandparents came. And I thought, how in the world could I ever repay my, my, my daughter and my daughter-in-law for this? Life. Paul. Paul in Romans writes for 11 chapters about the gospel. And it's like he knows we're just leaning in with that question. What, what, what do you give a God who's given us everything? And he writes in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may be able to discover the very will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. That's what happens when you memorize it in a different translation you're preaching. 
But, but, but think about it. What do you give God? Yourself. And here's the amazing thing. Here's the amazing thing. You give God yourself, but what you get in return is so much better. You give God you, and you become a better you. You become a you that's unshakable in the midst of all the chaos. You become a you that that when when you have your plans, they don't all work out. Anyone ever have that happen? But you can say, but God's will be done. His will's better. It may not feel good right now, but his will's better. God, I want to give you me. And what's that look like? And and who are we in the midst of all this, of of God's grace and salvation, redemption, and us giving ourselves to him? And and Peter answers that question in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. And this passage I've often shared with people and said, what would it look like if every morning we as believers would just pray this over ourselves, remind ourselves of who we are in Jesus? Peter writes this, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Think about it. If you're a believer this morning, what is, what is Peter saying? You're part of a chosen race. Like God chose you. You're like a royal priest. You're a prince or princess because you're a child of God. That doesn't mean that we should do that every morning and walk away with our head up high and, you know, hey, bow to me, I'm a prince. That's not what it means, but it does mean that when we go out into the world, if that's who we are in Christ, we can hold our heads up high in confidence of who he is and then serve other people because because that's what Jesus did and serve them with confidence saying that, that in all my royalty is given to me so that I can bless others with the blessings he's given me. How many of you believe the world would be a different place if we all just did that? How many of you believe that our workplaces would be transformed, our homes would be transformed, our schools, if we did that? Lord, thank you for redeeming me. I give myself to you, and now I understand who I am in you, and I'm going to let that radiate to the world around me. Craig, the the world's a messed up place. How can you have such hope? Because my hope has never been in the world. Craig, have you seen the political scene? It's a little messed up. A little. That's okay. My hope isn't in them either. Craig, you have this difficult relationship thing going on, and that's okay. My hope wasn't in them either. My hope's in Jesus. And he's going to lead me and guide me in this thing and has and will. And then he's going to come back and take me. Paul sort of got it. Wrote two-thirds of the books in the New Testament, so I guess he did. But, But think about Paul. He had to frustrate, and I've said this before, but I have to say it again, but he had to frustrate people because when people wanted to do him wrong, when they wanted to do evil things against him, his answers throughout Scripture are just sort of interesting to me. Like, Paul, you can't preach. Well, I can't not do that. As long as I have a voice, I'm going to preach, he would say. Well, then I'm going to kill you. And, and we would often think that's the worst, and he would go, oh, that's cool. If you kill me, that's my wording. It's from the Greek. That's cool. And he said, if you kill me, that's okay because I'm going to be with Jesus. 
well, then I'm just going to persecute you. I'm going I'm I'm to beat you. He said, wow, if you do that, then I'm going to be able to identify with what my Savior went through. It's just going to draw me closer to him. Well, just get out of here. Good, because I wanted to preach anyway. <laughs> Why? Because he knew where his hope was. He knew where his hope was. Paul finishes by writing this in Titus 2.15. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. In other words, it's the gospel. Teach it. Don't be ashamed of it. Never be intimidated by those who, who disagree with Christian truth. We don't want to be arrogant or mean or, 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 or you know, sort of know-it-all type people, but, but we do know the truth. And here's the good news when someone says, oh, you just think you know the truth. Well, I do know the truth, and you can know them too. That's why when I sort of laughed later leaving the gym, and I thought, man, I wonder what people were thinking as I was standing there out loud praying, Lord Jesus, be with his brother in Christ. And then, and then I thought again, I thought, man, there's a lot of things that happen all around me that I'm not really comfortable with. I'm like, man, that, that's an interesting use of that word. And, and all that stuff all the time. And I thought, I, I don't want to purposely offend somebody, but I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel and the power of prayer and the fact that this man asked me to pray for him and I wasn't going to put it off. Let's do it. We're here. Let's go. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power to save. And it's available to All. I mean, think about it. The grace of God has appeared in Jesus Christ, and the, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to not live uh, ungodly lives, to live godly lives. The grace of God is seen in, in Christ giving himself for us to redeem us and for God's glory. He calls us to share this with the world around us. Imagine with me, if you will, a ship, you know, sort of sailing through storming waters. And, and as it's, 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 it's sailing, the waves are pounding at the sides of the ship, and the wind is howling, and it seems like there's no hope, and then all of a sudden, you see the lighthouse, and I grew up fascinated with lighthouses because my mom loved lighthouses. We had them all over our house in Florida, like all over, literally, and I was sort of fascinated with them. I mean, I get the whole idea behind them, but it's just sort of a powerful imagery image for me, and I don't know if you realize, but we're in stormy waters. You needed me to tell you that, didn't you? You came all the way here this Sunday, so I could tell you we're in stormy waters. But let me tell you the truth. Christ is our lighthouse. He is our constant amidst the storm. He is our sure hope. When we follow him, he leads us to the place where he wants us. And ultimately, ultimately, he leads us to be with him for eternity. I don't know any greater hope than that. I mean, think about it. When, when Paul's writing this to Titus, he understood the culture in which Titus was living, but he also, even though he didn't understand it, God who inspired him understood the culture in which we're living. And he's saying, you know, the hope that, that Paul's writing about isn't just for first century Crete. It, it, it's for 2023 right here in the Finger Lakes region for us and for those around us. So I implore you this morning, Wherever you find yourself, I hope you're finding your hope in Jesus. I hope you're looking to him, nothing else. You're not going to find hope anywhere else. Because the grace of God has appeared. And we await the reappearing of Jesus Christ when he takes us to be with him forever. And in between, what do we do? We live in the basking of that hope. Knowing that he has the power to help us live in a way that allows us to flourish amidst the life storms. And now maybe you're looking at the world 
It may be like the gentleman I prayed with yesterday. It was a surgery that's coming up. It could be a relationship issue. Church, listen to me. I believe God wants to break strongholds in your life. I believe God wants to bring freedom in your life. I believe God wants to, to, to bring healing that you can never even ask or imagine on, on, heart, on hearts that have been so hurt and, and devastated. And Jesus says, let me come in and do that work. Journey with me. Walk with me. Wherever you find yourself this morning, I hope you'll leave here, not just in Christ, but with the hope of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this, the, the honor and privilege of being able to worship you together like we have this morning. To be able to come and put your glory on display as we've greeted one another, as we sing together, as we pray together, as we explore your word together. Thank you for the remarkable truth that we've looked at here in Titus. That the grace of God, the very grace of God has appeared. And if you want to know about God's love, all you have to do is look to Jesus. And that the life that you created us for is found in him. But Lord, every single one of us in this room has a destiny, a divine destiny. It's only fulfilled when we walk with you, when we allow you to lead our steps. So, Father, I pray that you would not only save us, but you would help us be surrendered to you. No one ever regrets leaving a clean life. No one ever regrets living the life that you've empowered us to live in you. And, Lord, we certainly have a sure hope, not just of what you've done and what you're doing, but what you're going to do. We, we look forward to your return when everything's made all right, when the chaos is gone. But for today... May your kingdom come, your will be done in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. Work in and through us. Transform us and then make us transforming agents, Lord God, in our relationships, in our homes, our workplaces, our schools, this region and beyond. God, I pray that no one would leave this place without making a decision to receive you as Lord and Savior, to say yes to Jesus. No one has to because grace was shown that all people would believe. So Lord, I pray that if someone needs to enter into that relationship with you, even now in the quietness of their heart, they say, yes, Jesus, be my Savior, be my Lord. Thank you for dying for my sins, being resurrected for my salvation. I want to do life with you. And may each of us, whether it be again in this room, the chapel, online, wherever, Lord God, the sound of my voice. As we leave this time, help us go scattered, scattered on purpose to not just know your hope, but to share it with the world around us who so desperately, desperately needs it. And that's what we mean by you're the answer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us so spectacularly. In your name we pray. Amen.